Hi, I'm Charlotte from Papyrus, and this is episode six of Hopecast. For this episode, we spoke to Alicia Cowie. Alicia is a Papyrus ambassador who won Miss Newcastle in 2017 and then Miss England in 2018. We first met Alicia on the Victoria Debs show, where she discussed the impact of social media on her mental health. She has since done a lot of work and fundraising to spread our message of hope and share her own stories of struggling with an eating disorder, as well as anxiety and depression. We met with Alicia late in January in Durham and began by talking about her true crime-inspired university studies. This episode was recorded at Allington House, which is a listed building and a community centre. Just to warn you, it did get busy towards the end of the interview, so you might hear some background noise in the second half. Thanks for listening to Papyrus Hopecast. how are you? I'm good thanks how are you? Good thank you. So you're currently at university can you tell us a bit about your subject and how it's all going? Yes I'm currently at Teesside University studying crime and investigation. Um, It's gone really well actually so I had a year out, um, finished first year had a year out and I've gone back into second year and it's I needed the year out to be honest but yeah it's gone really well I'm getting like good grades and things so yeah. That's brilliant. What are you hoping to do with that in the future? So ideally I'd like to become a detective so in an ideal world I'd go straight into being a detective but if not I'd be in the police force for like a few years. So I went to college straight from school because I just had to get out of school, I hated exams and things and I did health and social care and I wanted to be an A&E nurse so like I went from that, went to uni to like the open days and have like the first lectures and whatever on a nursing course and I was just like this is not for me like and then I seen a course that was crime investigation and I like love documentaries and things. So I was like, well, just like <laughs> first year we did they have like a crime scene house and we had to pull fibers from like crashed cars and things like all crashed cars, um, and like package them and learn how to do all of that like properly. Well that's really interesting as well, isn't it? So it was like interesting, but my favourite's the fingerprints, like learning all about your fingerprints and things. Like I got obsessed with that module. For two people to have the same fingerprint, it's something like one in so say like me and you have an A fingerprint the same, it's like one in ten billion chance. And then for someone to have a whole ten print like the same as someone else, it's like impossible. Because you have things called, like, it's they're called Galton Details. So the Galton Details, well, you have, like, whirls, loops and arches, and they're, like, the pattern. But then in those patterns you have... <laughs> in those patterns you have Galton Details, which are, like, lakes, um, like, like, yeah, it's really complicated that you have to pull it all out. But um, identifying a fingerprint actually turns into, like, an equation. So, um, so it'd be... Like, it's like a quite a long equation that you'd get from a set of fingerprints, and that's how they identify people. They don't just look at them and be like, that fingerprint matches that one. They come up with the equation, and then the equation of someone else, and then if it matches them. There's something called the CSI effect as well. So obviously, you know, um, like, docu- well, not documentaries, like dramas, like CSI and things, and it's like, 
they have a big computer and it's like, oh, this fingerprint lays on this one, it matches. It's not like that. Like, they have such a backlog of fingerprints. It takes so much time. So people get, like, high expectations and be like, why haven't you solved this? Or why why is this taking so long? It's because it's just such a long process, so... What advice would you have for young people who are applying to go to university? I think to go to uni, you, you shouldn't be pressured. I know like a lot of my friends are being pressured to go to uni where no one in my family has ever been to university. So it's like it was like it's not a be all and end all if I went or I didn't. Um, but like just go enjoy it, but obviously stick in as well. Like if you're going for the social life, then you're not really going yeah. for your degree. I, I don't know. I think just go for the right reasons, but obviously take time out for yourself as well while you're at uni because yeah. it can be pretty stressful as well. Yeah, and doing it for just for themselves yeah. as well uh-huh. is important, isn't it? Pageantry has changed a lot in the last few years and you've made a strong argument um, for its continued relevance on BBC's One Voice. Tell us a bit about these changes and the opportunities that come from contests like Miss England. So with the, the Miss England competition, like to like be specific because that's the the system I know the most about, um, they've changed so much. So I know in the, like, 80s, they used to get girls up on stage and measure the, like, the waist, the bust, and they used to shout out the measurements to the judges, where there's absolutely, like, none of that now. You don't have to submit any measurements, anything like that. So that's obviously come a long way. And in 2010, in Miss England, the um, swimsuit round was, like, abolished, so we don't have an on-stage swimsuit round anymore, which is obviously step in the right direction for girls who don't want to compete in swimwear because there are other systems that still do it which is fine but then you have the choice Mm -hmm. um and the opportunities for me it was like traveling so I never got to travel as a child um where in a year of like Miss Newcastle Miss England they got to go like Nepal Dubai Mauritius Turkey China like it was crazy so like they're the kind of opportunities that you're looking at when you go into pageantry that's really cool being able to travel as well since yeah. that people really look for isn't it so what kind of journey has Miss England taken you on a whirlwind to be honest like it, it was like crazy so when I went to Miss World I had around seven weeks I think just off the top of my head to like prepare for that from winning Miss England to go to Miss World um so I was learning to like ballroom dance I was learning sign language I was like doing all sorts so it's been a learning curve and I've learned like a lot about myself as well um uh, yeah, it's just been, like, a crazy year to, to, like, experience all in, like, such a short time. Yeah. But, yeah, it was great. It sounds really exciting, being able to learn loads of new skills yeah, as well. Was, yeah, And as Miss England, you helped to raise a lot of money for charity. Can you tell us about some of the fundraising activities you've done in the past? So before Miss Newcastle, Miss England, before pageantry, I was, like, volunteering things anyway um, in a school where I live, um, in, like, an old an old people's home. Um, so I was kind of in that anyway. I used to do, like, bake sales and things like that. But since the Miss Newcastle, I helped raise £20,000 for Smiles Across Nepal, and I went to Nepal and did things over there, and then... After Miss England, I got involved with Papyrus because of like past events. It was always a charity close to me. Um, and I cut a foot of my hair off and donated it to the Little Princess Trust, but also raised, I think it was about £250 for Papyrus. 
And then I also ran the 10 mile tough mudder with my partner and we raised over £1,200, I think, um, for that. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot as well, even doing it from young age. Yeah. It, it's just something that I've always like, enjoyed and wanted yeah. to be involved in. So. understand that you lost a friend to suicide would you be okay to talk to us about that and the impact it had on you yeah definitely so at 13 I lost my best friend to suicide um she was called Sarah and it was just kind of it was just really sudden like no one's seen it coming um and the impact it had was obviously like losing someone especially a best friend at 13 it's going to have impacts on it on like a person um so I don't like I can't even explain the impact so like some of them were good because as bad as that sounds I was struggling myself (laughs) and when she passed away it kind of was like a reality check to me and kind of shocked me (laughs) into getting better but like that's six years ago now and that's still with me so it's something that I'll like stay with me forever and it does stay with you as well when you've yeah, got someone. It, yeah. it can feel like you can manage it a little bit easier. Yeah, it does. Like, even now, like, six years later, or coming up six years later, like, I still have my days where, like, I really struggle with, like, coming to terms with it, mm-hmm. but then the next day I'm fine. But, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. No, it's okay. And we, we know you've had your own thoughts um, of suicide and struggle with that. Can we talk a bit about that? Yeah, so before I lost Sarah, um, I was, like, self-harming things and obviously thought of suicide. Um, never acted upon them, but the self-harm was obviously, like, really destructive, mm-hmm. um, which then spiraled, like, I had an eating disorder at the same time. Um, so it was, like... I don't know where it all came from, to be honest. Like, you can't even explain it. It kind of just comes upon you and it gradually gets worse yeah. and worse. Like, um... And with those thoughts that you had, what, what what was that like for you? Like very lonely. So, um, like I had friends, but like you don't think of, like you just don't think about anything anyone else. Like you don't think anyone cares about you. You're just kind of isolated, and then you isolate yourself, which makes mm-hmm. it worse. Um, it was just like a very lonely, sad place that I'm really happy to like come out the other side of. Yeah. And now you share your stories, yeah, well, exactly. which is inspiring to others. Yeah. And you've just mentioned that about struggling with an eating disorder in the past, um, and that was when you were when you were younger. If anyone listening to this is struggling with an eating disorder, how might they get help? So how I went? Well, my mum took me to the doctors because obviously I was losing all this weight, and she found out I was self-harming. So um, I went there, but counselling didn't really help me. It wasn't. I didn't want to go to someone and be like, I'm feeling like this or. Um, like I didn't want to do face to face and things like that so speaking to people did help me um, but I think a lot of it was like social media sides mm-hmm. what I'd suggest would be to unfollow anyone that isn't motivating you to be a better version of yourself obviously seek help and do talk to someone but it doesn't have to be like face to face obviously with papyrus you have hopeline that you can ring yeah. which would be looking back that would have been a lot more comfortable for me to talk to someone on the phone rather than ringing someone being like like or seeing someone face to face like just a lot more comforting I think um but do things that work for you so just have people around you that make you feel loved um safe and then know you have people to talk to as well yeah that's great advice thank you is there anything that you do for self-care 
So I always have like I love having like a pamper day, like like face mask, do nails, and like I plan it in advance so I can look forward to it. Um, I do enjoy the gym as well. So now I do have a really healthy relationship with the gym. Um, I've got um, a personal trainer who helps me a lot with with that kind of thing, so I know that I'm doing it safely and stuff like that. So I definitely suggest like the gym, like a bubble bath, and like face masks. Do like things that. that make you feel good. Yeah, exactly. And you've mentioned social media and how that was helpful to you and it's had an impact on your well-being. How do we get the best out of social media, do you think? So I think social media is a very... It can be very positive, but it can also be the other side. It can be very negative. It depends. You need to use it very wisely. So I think social media is definitely the trigger to my eating disorder. But now that I know how to use the algorithms and things and, like not look for certain hashtags or whatever then I know how to use it safely so it can be very positive so like I said before if you're following someone on Instagram that isn't motivating you in a positive way or makes you feel bad about yourself then just unfollow them it's the easiest thing you can do you don't have to look at what they're posting and then it's just out of your mind it's not something that's going to bring up like triggers so yeah that's my advice on that but it can be very positive if you use it properly. And what do you think the pitfalls are? I know you've just mentioned hashtags. Online bullying as well. That's something I used to get all the time when I was younger. And I still get comments now, but I've got a thick skin where I'm just like, it's someone sat behind a computer, there's nothing better mm-hmm. to do. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it should be more regulated, like um, comment sections and things like that, because people can be so mean mm-hmm. um, to people. And you've struggled with hearing loss as well, but it's important to be aware that it can affect anyone. Can you tell us about how you've overcome this? So I do actually have hearing aids. Um, I don't have them at the moment because they do give me like a bad head sometimes. So I like try and um, use them sometimes. And, then, and I, I don't want to rely on them too much. But I do have them as like an aid if I do need them. Um, just to c- overcome it, like everyone's just had to be really patient with me because I just, like, I just can't hear them sometimes. And then people, obviously, before they knew, they'd get a bit angry with me yeah. where now you know, sort of a bit more patient. But to overcome it, it's just, I mean, what can you do? It's just something you've got to accept, isn't it? And with the hearing aids, it does help for, like, lectures at university, I use them for. Um, but, like, everyday use, it's a try and, like, not use them as much because I don't want to rely on them. But if I do need them, I'll, I'll use them. Yeah. And what gives you hope? Something that gives me hope is definitely, like, the future. So I like to plan things well in ahead or just have, like, a picture of what's going to happen. Um, so like having a family, um, things like that really just like setting goals for the future gives me hope to like carry on and keep going at getting goals and things. That's brilliant. Thanks for coming to talk to us. No, it's no problem. Thank you for having me. It's all right. Thank you for listening and for your support in making suicide part of the conversation. It can be hard to listen to these stories and if you're a young person who's been affected by any of the themes discussed in this podcast and you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, please contact Hopeline UK on 0800 0688 You can text on 07860 Nine six seven, or you can email pat at papyrus-uk.org.